So today's Palm Sunday, and there are no palms in here. What's going on? There's no dancing down the streets. I don't know what's going on. You know, actually, Palm Sunday was always a confusing Sunday for me anyway, because it's like, you know, you want to celebrate like they did on that day where they're rejoicing, the king's coming into town, but there's like this disingenuine nature kind of to the whole thing where you're like, yeah, in in a week, we already know that we're going to be yelling, crucify him. You know, so it's hard to like identify with the whole like celebrating Jesus when we know that like we know now, you know, we know who we actually are versus who we pretend to be. And so it always feels a little bit weird on Palm Sunday when we jump around praising the king. But it's like it wasn't really the coronation of the king. Like there was fulfillment. There's prophetic fulfillment all over the place. But uh, but, you know, it, it was always weird. Well, anyway. There's also this other thing that it's the last Sunday before Easter. So it seems like you should be talking about the cross, right? And because, I mean, in our culture in general, you don't, not everyone goes to church as much on Good Friday these days. And so we don't, uh, you know, engage in the cross and the cross, the, you know, the intersection of all things, you know. And so I'm happy today to, to be focusing on the cross, happy to be. I mean, I, I think it's appropriate to be focusing on the cross, although I'm sure that next year I'll be saying, how important it is that we celebrate Palm Sunday and wave branches or something, you know. Um, so, uh, we're, you know, as you know, we've been talking about the beautiful red letters, the, f- the seven phrases spoken from Jesus at the cross. And uh, this is the second to last one. It is the culmination. There's no question it's the culmination. Um, there will be, there's one more that will be touched on at Tenebrae service on Friday night. Um, but for our Sunday morning series, this will be the last of the phrases that is spoken from the cross. And uh, on Here's the teaser for Easter. We'll actually find out what this series was really about when we show up at Easter and what the beautiful Red Letter series was actually all about. Um, but today we're focusing on the words, it is finished. And uh, two weeks ago, we focused on the phrase, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And what the suggestion was is that that was the culmination of Christ's suffering. That, that, was, that was in many ways that... The, the culmination of all of his suffering was when he sensed the full rejection of his father, when he felt the weight of sin being placed on him, when he became sin who knew no sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. That in that, that's the horror, that's the dread, that's the fullness of his pain. That's, that is the, the climax of his pain. But it is not the climax of the cross in general. It's not, it's not the totality of the cross. We said that then, that, there was, that, was the to, that was the fullness of his pain. But there was still a phrase to come that was the the totality of the meaning of the cross. And that's the phrase that we study today. It is finished. Last week, Josh walked us through the, the phrase, I thirst, and uh, talked about the living water that, that Christ talked about. It was a great message. I wasn't able to be here, but I went back to, and listened to it. Anytime you want to uh, listen to a message you missed, they're all on the website. And I always appreciate that because then, you know, when everyone's telling me about who else was preaching and being heretical, uh, you know, the week before and met bombing, I can always go back and figure out what they did wrong and yell at them. And, no, actually, it's great because I go back and listen to the message and I find... Uh, uh, huge refreshment personally by listening to the other messages. And so uh, it was, um, I thirst was our the last message. And right after Jesus takes the drink um, from that sponge or whatever it is that's put up to his mouth, we find the phrase that we have today. And it's in John chapter 19 and it's verse 30. It's one verse. And we're going to, we're going to say, we're going to um, read it together. You can stand with me in honor of God's word. If ever there's a, a, a phrase, uh, a, a, verse to stand in honor of, this would be it. John 19, verse 30. When he had received the drink, 
Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. God's grace to you from the reading of his word. You can have a seat. Before I pray and move on, uh, one other thing about Palm Sunday, and that's this. On, uh, at our Lenten services, our midweek Lenten services, we had our last one on Wednesday, and it was at uh, Parker Ford Baptist Church. And uh, John Klein, the pastor there who was hosting the service, he wasn't preaching, but he did a children's sermon, and there was a few kids up front. And, and it was a real short children's sermon. It was like two minutes long. And all he said was this, hey, kids, Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday, they were waving the palm branches, and everyone was all excited, We know how messed up things were by the end of the week. You know what happened, right? They lost their joy. They lost the joy of Jesus. They had all the joy of Jesus, and then they lost it. Don't lose the joy of Jesus, because if you do, all sorts of things go wrong when you lose the joy of the Lord. And uh, so that's that's our Palm Sunday message there. We'll just take that cut and paste. That's our Palm Sunday message. And now we'll move on to uh, our precursor to our our Good Friday. Join me in prayer. God, we just thank you and praise you for the joy of the Lord is our strength. And we recognize that today, while we've been walking through this season of Lent, and we recognize that in Lent, we focus less on the resurrection and we focus less on the joy of all of the beautiful things that come uh, to our knowledge and to our understanding after the resurrection. And we really focus in on your suffering because we understand that we need to share in the fellowship of sharing in your sufferings, becoming like you in death in order to attain uh, life in, in the resurrection. And so this whole experience that we've set apart over the last uh, six weeks, God, has been a, a real desire to experience the depth of your pain. But not none of that is apart from the joy. None of it's apart from the joy. And, and we experience joy as we understand, even through tears, even through tears and even through experience in your pain, we just understand that joy comes with your presence. And as we experience you, we have joy, God. And so I ask that even today, as we focus on these horrific and terrible and wonderful words that God, uh, the joy of the Lord would stay close to us and, uh, and that we would give you honor and praise as we study and understand in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we know that this phrase, it is finished. In John, it says he spoke these words. In other passages, we know that after all the darkness, that there's a loud cry heard, that, that there's this deep cry that goes out, you know, and, and from the other Gospels, we can hear that this is, this is not just words spoken. This is a great cry that comes out. And, and that's really important for us to be aware of, that this is said with huge authority. That whatever Jesus is saying, he's saying with passion and he's saying with authority, that this is a gigantic statement. That it's not just whispered. It's cried out. The fact that he can even say anything at a, at a decent decibel level is outstanding at this point. It's amazing after all the suffering. But he yells out this phrase. And, and today, you know, there's any number of angles. When, when Jesus says a phrase, there's so many layers to it, you know. If, if I say I'm hungry, what that means is it means that I want something to eat. You know, that my stomach's growling, that, Tim, you're taking too long, and i got to get home and eat. You know, that's what, that's what it means. Like, I'm hungry. When Jesus says something, it means so much more. When he says, I thirst, holy cow. Like, you heard Josh weaving the tapestry of all the, 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 what, the living water coming through. You know, it's amazing when Jesus says something, the, the profundity of the whole thing. And, and when Jesus says it's finished, 
the angles on this phrase, there's, there's almost endless angles on this phrase. But this cry of Jesus, this loud proclamation, we're going to look at three angles this morning. Three different angles of what kind of cry was this? What was the intention? What's the tone? What's it all about? And I believe there's many tones that are from this cry. And the first is that this is a cry of relief. It's a cry of relief. You ever been in a situation where something was hanging over your head and you just couldn't wait until the thing happened and you got it done with? You know, like, I know that the, the rest of you don't understand this and neither do I, but when you're sitting outside of the principal's office, you know, yeah, that's, that's, you just want it to be done, right? I mean, it's like dread, you know, or you know you're in trouble with mom and dad and like sit over there until I deal with you and it's the dread. And of course, there's grown-up versions of this as well. You know, you have that meeting that's been, that presentation that's been hanging over your head that you have to give and you're all worried about it or you're in a legal situation and you don't know what to do. Many of you are worried about April and, and what happens with the taxes and not knowing, you know, how that's all going to fall. But relational things really can hit home this way. You've had to have conversations with people that are tough conversations. Someone you love that you have to call them out on something and you really don't want to because it's, you're not mad at them. You just know that for their own good, you've got to have that conversation. Or maybe it goes the other way, the confession. You had one of them? I just had one this week. I had to confess something this week, and I, was, I did not want to go and have the conversation because I was like, oh, man, my pride is on the line. And, you, know, like, yeah, you know how it is when the Holy Spirit's leaning into you, and you know you messed something up, and you're just like, oh, you know, and you don't want to have the conversation. You're just dreading it, and you don't know what the effects are going to be of that. And, and uh, another one is uh, someone sitting in the pre-op room about to have an operation, and you don't know what's going to happen. It's a serious operation. You don't know if you're coming out of that operation, you know? And there's just the heaviness that it brings. But if, you, if we're anticipating something like that, and we have the heaviness of it all, and then we walk through it, and at the end, when we actually come out the other end and it's okay, what do we experience? Relief. Relief. Huge sigh of relief is what we experience, full relief. And this is what's going on with Jesus. I mean, this is... This is relief. He has been anticipating this for a long time. You know, fortunately for us, we don't have to know everything that's going to happen in our lives. Sometimes we wish we knew what God was going to do. Why doesn't he just tell me so I can prepare? It would be terrible. Can you imagine if you knew all the bad things that were going to happen to you ahead of time? And you had to carry all the burden and worry about it coming up? But Jesus did. He had to worry about it. He knew all of this stuff. Back in Luke chapter 10, there's this amazing thing. He's still up in Galilee. Okay, and, and he knows what's coming. He actually says that I'm coming to set a fire on earth. And oh, how I wish that it were already kindled. What does he mean? He's talking about Pentecost, where he's going to infuse this world with the fire, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and it's going to spread like wildfire through the church. And he says, but until then, I have a baptism to undergo. And I am deeply distressed until it is completed. What's he talking about? His baptism. He's talking about the cross, of course, being baptized into death. And he knows that it's coming. And he has this major distress, this feeling of like Jesus always knows how it's going to end for him. You imagine every time that there's a crucifixion and he sees it, you know, what he's thinking, that will be me. That will be me. You know, every time that he goes to a funeral, I know, I know that. I know that will be me. And all of us in some ambiguous way know that our end will come at death. But he knew, knew very precisely the suffering 
that he was going to go through. Uh, through. And, and, and the, 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 the tension internally. You know, Jesus doesn't struggle with fear and anxiety the way we do, but clearly, clearly Jesus struggles as he sweats like blood in the Garden of Gethsemane, crying out, God, if possible, take this from me, you know? And Jesus has been under tension, and this is the completion of it. So what is it that's finished? What is it, what is the relief from? I mean, it starts all the way back when Jesus comes to earth. I mean, leaving celestial heaven, you know, and, and engaging in a world being chained in by a body like this where he has to sleep now, he has to eat food the way we eat it, and he has to experience life, you know. He has the pressure of the enemy all over. He has the of everyone around him and all that stuff, you know. And he has to deal with it his entire life, constantly being pressured by the enemy, the strain and the pressure of his ministry and all of that. But then it leads up to this moment, the moment of the cross. And here at the cross, intense suffering that we, we, we don't know how to fully understand. And then, of course, there's that mockery. You know what I mean? But, you know, when they all are accusing him. And there's this thing in me that I always, I always kind of thought like, well, Jesus can dismiss the mockery because he knows that it's not legit. Right? So he can just, they don't know what they're talking about, and he's strong enough. They can, but the problem is he actually carries our sin. And so now when they're like, you know, blah, 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 whatever they say to him, it finds its mark. I mean, he's carrying the sin of the world on the cross. And so now when we're mocking him, when we're saying, you're disgusting, you're pathetic, you're a sinner or whatever, it's finding its mark. Jesus is carrying our sin. And we've all felt the shame of when we've done things that are inappropriate and we carry that burden with us. Sometimes we carry it for a long, long time before we confess things that we should have gotten out, uh, you know, in the open. And when we carry that level of shame, Jesus carries the shame of the world in this moment. And all of the accusations are hitting the mark. And, of course, there's the physical suffering. But, of course, worse than all of it is his separation from his father. And this, like, this feeling of complete and total separation. But here at the end of it all, Jesus gets the relief. I mean, this is it. We've watched him. And those of us who have been going through, you know, Lent and, and really focusing in on, on the sufferings of Jesus, I mean, we're begging for this guy to, to find relief at this point. And you know how when, when you see someone you love go through deep suffering, you know, and you, you watch them in pain, you watch cancer eat away at them or, or whatever it is, and at the end of it, it's this terrible loss, but there's also, we say, a sense of relief when the, the suffering of the loved one ends. And, and for Jesus, he's been suffering so bad. And I believe that this cry initially for Jesus, is, it's his cry of relief, you know? It's finished. It's over. It's completed. The confession has happened. The accusation has happened. The sentencing has happened. The punishment has taken its place, and it's finally over. And for us, as we watch, it should be a sense of relief for us because we've watched painfully as Jesus has walked through this, and we're relieved that it's over for him. You know, but there's this other sense of relief for us. It's the it's the idea that we also suffer. Now he suffers unjustly, but we suffer justly. But there's also still relief for us. You know, uh, yesterday was the journey to the cross here, and uh, some of you came to the journey of the cross. Some some of the kids came in, and you walked through the stages that was all set up. Those of you who helped out with the journey to the cross, bravo! You did an awesome job. It was so cool in here. Great prayer experience, and thank you very, very much. It was awesome. And, um, and so as people walked and families walked from room to room and experienced the different stages, there's these teaching opportunities and these great moments, you know. But in this room back here in the corner, it's the sin room. 
And the sin room was when you walked in and it was black lights. And, you know, the, it, uh, on the ground were all the different sins written down. And they're illuminated by the black lights. And there's the rocks that are on the ground. There's these pebbles next to them all. And when you walk in, you're supposed to identify with whichever sins you struggle with. And then the pebbles go into your shoe. And you have to walk with the pebbles in your shoes. And it hurts, you know, as you walk uh, through the rest of the stations. Well, my son, our youngest son, when he walked in, he leaned over to Jen. And the first word, one of the first words was murder. And he said, I haven't done that one yet. <laughs> well, um, wow. <laughs> Scary. Scary parent moment right there. You know? <laughs> Holy cow. I'll keep an eye on that one. Yeah. And that uh, was funny. And then also, as he has the rocks in his shoes, you know, and, and we're walking to the next station, he goes to take his shoe off. And Jen's asking him, what's wrong? And he's like, they, they push to the side. I'm not stepping on them anymore. I got to make sure I'm stepping on them. I'm like, why is he paying penance here? Like, he's making sure, you know, he really suffers. But he's, he's actually trying to experience it. And this is the point, is we're trying to experience, not just have it stuck up in here somewhere. Oh, yeah, that's what my sin does. But to remember, this is what it actually does. This is what it does to me, and this is what it does to Christ. And we carry that with us. And what was great about it is as you're walking and you're stepping on it, you have to kind of shift your weight a little bit. You know, it changes your gait. It changes the way you walk. And that's what happens with sin. It changes our whole journey. It changes the way we walk. We have to adjust to deal with the sin that's a part of us. You know, and as we walk through the stages, you're kind of looking a little awkward, and it's not the way it's supposed to be. And that's the way it is because of the sin. And then finally we get to this room over here. And in this room, there's a cross, a big cross, you know, like a full-size cross in there with the wood. And then there's also this vase, this big vase with, a, with water in it. And and at the bottom, there's all these rocks, all these pebbles. And you hear the water. There's a recording of water going. And uh, what we're supposed to do at that point is to take the rocks out of our shoes and to begin to drop them into the water. And this is the amazing thing. The, the rocks have been having effects on me walking, and I can feel the pain. Now I take them out of my shoe, and I hold them in my hand. And now that they're not in my shoe, the pain doesn't seem quite as bad. You know, it doesn't seem to affect me all that much. It's just rocks. Then I take the rocks and I go and I drop them in the water. And there's effects from the water, from, from the rocks. When they hit the water, there's a splash. There's ripples, you know, and, and you see the effects. And when you see the effects, eventually those effects disappear and the water goes flat again. And now all there is is these pebbles that are at the bottom of the rocks as the sun shining in the window behind them. And it looks like a fountain. You know, and it looks nice. It's the redemption of our sins. And when we look at the cross, what we're seeing is, is we're seeing a moment where after Jesus drinks the cup of God's wrath, that there is peace provided for us, that there is a pool of living water that can bring peace for us. And as we place our sins on, on the cross with Jesus, we see the massive effects. We see the scars on him. We see the beatings. We see all the shame. We see it all. But then eventually, it all stills out. And Jesus says, it's finished. And I believe that this is where it's time you interject Isaiah 53 here, where it says the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. Because in order for it to be finished, in order for there to be relief, there had to be effects of our sins. And we had to drop our sins into the pool. And there had to be a breaking of peace in Jesus. But then eventually it goes back to calm and it's finished. And we find ourselves at rest again. And for me, I know uh, as, as Jesus suffers unjustly on our behalf, we suffer very justly. And this is how we suffer the effects of sin. It's because there's an antagonist, an accuser of the saints, who walks around and reminds us every day of all of our failures. And when we took from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we learned the whole thing about 
Did I do this right? Did I do that wrong? Am I better than you? Am I worse than you? Is God pleased with who I am? And it's this constant self-assessment that drives us absolutely batty, and it changes our whole gait in how we walk. And we do everything to figure out whether we're doing a good job or not, and we walk all funky because we're not at rest with God, because there's the accusation of the enemy against our life. And when we take the shoe, the rocks out of our shoes, and we dump them at the cross, and we experience watching Jesus in all of his pain, and then the whole thing goes to rest, and he cries out in relief. It's finally over. It's finished. He says it not just for himself, but he says it for us. It's finished. Let it go. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let it go. Let it go. It's over. The pain, the suffering, it's over. Oh yeah, sure, you might experience some physical pain and people might do some things, but it doesn't matter because the accusation of the enemy has no effect anymore. There's relief. It's all been paid for. The relief is there. The punishment that brings us peace, the deserved punishment that brings us peace is upon him. Now we can have peace. The cry of relief. It's finished. It's done. It's over. It's not only a cry of relief, it's also a cry of victory. And this is an amazing thing. This is, uh, yeah, you've, you've applied yourself to something before where uh, you've gone so hard after it and then you've actually seen it happen. You know, maybe you're on a sports team and you guys actually won a game finally. Or, you know, whatever it was, the, the moment when something works, when it all comes together, when you studied for that test and it comes together, or when you've really hoped your kid would learn how to walk and you're trying to help them learn and then finally they get it. And there's this moment of like, yes, it worked. It all came together, whatever it is, you know. And there's this thing about Jesus on the cross. We, we find that in this moment when he cries out, there was someone standing at the foot of the cross, the centurion. You know, and this isn't this text. This is from one of the other gospels. And the centurion who's standing there and who hears Jesus cry out this cry in a great loud voice. He's a centurion who's well acquainted with war. You know, he's well acquainted with battle cries. And I believe that he looks and he sees Jesus who should be a shamed, defeated, dying criminal. And instead, he hears the war cry of a victorious general. And right after he has that cry, the earth shakes. The veil of the, of the Holy of Holies is torn. Everything goes dark. He bows his head and he dies. And this centurion says, you've got to be kidding me. That had to be the Son of God. Who could cry out a victorious battle cry at the end of their crucifixion death? He doesn't go down in shame. As a matter of fact, well, before we even get into that, you know, there's this... I, I, well, yeah, we'll just say it. There's this Hebrews 12, 2. It says that we're to look unto Jesus, who's the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured all of the cross. He walked through all of it and he endured it. And he scorned, he despised its shame. Whatever the shame was of it, he just completely despised it. There is no way he will be shamed. At the end of the day, he will not be shamed. He will walk through all the shame and all of the guilt. But as he closes out the suffering of the cross, he will close it out with a cry of victory. He will stare down the enemy. He will drink the cup of God's wrath fully to its dregs. He will take every hit that the enemy can give him. He will take all of the warfare that Satan can bring. And he will say, is that seriously your best shot? Because it is finished. You are done. You have no hold. It is over. 
And see, here's the thing about Jesus. We see Jesus when he comes onto the scene. He bursts onto the scene, turning water into wine, healing the sick, fulfilling prophecies. And everyone is wowed by Jesus. And he just grows in popularity and all of this stuff. It's amazing. But then you get toward the end of his ministry. And what's happening to this guy? You know, he's hanging on a cross and he's beat up and he's bloody and everyone's making fun of him. It's one thing to talk a big game. It's a whole other thing to finish. To finish the game. And I can talk about my love for the Lord. You know, and I, and I, can, and I can speak about, uh, about the scriptures. And I can, but I can't finish my faith. I just can't. I fall all the time. You know, and I, I can't finish it. But there's this thing about Jesus. He's the finisher. He is the finisher. That's what he does. He states it, and he walks all the way through, and he finishes it. I've told you before, one of the things that we walk through with our boys in memorizing Scripture is we have uh, projects for them to, to try to help them memorize. And the, and the one challenge that they've been on for a year has been trying to memorize a a, a, bo- a verse from at least one verse from every book of the Bible, and so it, th- this this they finally just got it. Okay, they it, it, they just got there. Colton still has to, he's still getting it refined, so he can say. It, but Evan just said it. Okay, he just got it done. And there's this incredible moment where Evan is he, he's pacing around the the island in our kitchen. Okay, and I'm sitting on the kitchen table over here, and I have the verses in my hand because I'm like, I'm going to mess them up. I'm not even going to know them all, you know, if, if he gets them right or not. So I'm, gonna, I'm looking at our cue cards, you know, to, just to make sure. And, and he's pacing around the island in the kitchen, and he's saying them. It's like this, you know, like his, his brain can work better if he's pacing, and he's saying them, and he's saying them. And he goes and says 87 verses back-to-back without making a mistake, you know. It's just this incredible moment, and as he's doing it, he comes around, and he stops right here, and he looks, and it's the last verse. He's about to say that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And, uh, and, and, and right as he's about to say it, he looks up. He's got one verse left. He looks over at the table, and he just looks at me, and he's like, I got one more, Daddy. I got one more, you know? And our whole, our whole house is like in anticipation. And Jen's got this thing on video. I thought about showing it today, but it was just a, it's a private thing, you know? And, like, and he, he, like, he sits there, and he goes, and he walks around, and he says it. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And he comes, and as he comes around and says the last word, he's like, face lights up, and his shoulders go up like this in anticipation, and we just erupt. The whole place goes nuts, you know? We're screaming and jumping. I jump out of the, from the table, and I go, and I grab him, and I throw him up on my shoulders, and Jen's like looking at him, looking at me with the video camera, and then she turns around and looks at Colton, and Colton's doing this jig. He's dancing. He's all excited. It's hilarious, and then I'm bouncing up, Evan up on my shoulders going, hip, hip, hooray, you know, and he's just like sitting there playing all coy, and then he just just does this move. He just goes, yes, you know, like, how does he know the victory move? I don't know, but he's just like, yes, it is finished. It is finished. For a year, he's been working on it. And as as his dad, man, I was just so proud of him that he stuck in there. And yeah, he's getting a Nintendo DS for it, you know, but like, that's not the whole point, you know, (laughs) that really for him was a huge motivating factor. No question about it. But looking back, what is memorialized is the moment when we scream out that it's finished and his father throws him up on his shoulders and he throws his arms in the air. And no matter what Jesus said two phrases ago about the 
father turning his face away because of the sin, I guarantee you in this moment that the father's heart swelled with pride and that he was throwing his son up in the air and saying, my son finished it. It is over. It is done. The enemy has lost his grip. The scorpion has been crushed. The snake has been broken. The spell is off of the children. The bride is washed and cleansed. It's over. It's finished. There's nothing left. He won it on the cross that day. And I can't finish it. Only he can. He wrote the book for my faith. And he finished my faith right there in that moment. It's done. It's done. Oh, man. It's a cry of relief and it's a cry of victory. And one more thing is it's a cry of finality. You know what a cry of finality is? The cry of finality is when, when mom has to get rid of the baby clothes. Because the, the, the kid's outgrown them, you know? And she's given away now the stroller and all of that stuff. And even though it's been a terribly difficult stage raising this little one, there's still the tears, you know? And, and uh, even now, every now and then, when we're kind of cleaning something out, there's a moment when we get rid of something and Jen will be like, oh, you know, and I'm like, it's all good, girl. <laughs> and uh, that's a cry of finality. Another cry of finality is that graduation when the friends are all hugging each other and it's over, you know, they completed it. It's finished. There's an, a, a great cry of finality is at a wedding. And even though it's the beginning of all things, there's a moment where a father holds his girl's arm and he gives away the bride. And he's the one shedding a tear that's different than everyone else's tear. Everyone else is, that's so beautiful. And he's like, holy cow, there goes my little girl, you know? And what's my loss is now your gain. But there's finality to it. And there's finality there. And, of course, the greatest finality that we experience is when we say goodbye to a loved one. And we pass them into the arms of Jesus. You know, and we say what has been is no more. There is something else. There's a whole nother thing. But this what has been is no more. And clearly, very clearly in this moment, what Jesus is saying. Is this chapter is closed. This day is done. The kingdom of men has come to a close. Now enter the kingdom of heaven. And right here. It's all done. You see, in some ways it doesn't make sense to us because that was 2,000 years ago and we struggle to figure out, like, how could it actually be finished? And yet there's still time. But it's funny how it doesn't work that way for God. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 3, it says that God's work has been done since the creation of the world. What's that mean? God's work has been done since the creation of the world. And yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. How could that be? How could his work be completely done since the creation of the world? You know, there's still so much left to do. But not really, because when Jesus, when, the, when he finished creating the world, it was perfect. It was fulfilled. You know, there's, there's two kinds of time. We've talked about it before. There's chronos time and kairos time. Chronos time is what we find on our watch. It's what happens when the world spins around and goes around the sun. It marks the time, the date, and the seasons. It's linear. In the beginning, God creates the world. In the end, the world will come to a close, and there's a timeline, and that's all chronos time. But there's another kind of time that doesn't have to do with seconds and minutes and days and months or whatever. That kind of time has to do with fulfillment. That's the kind of time that's when you, put the, when you don't have a timer and you put the 
the uh, pie in the oven, when is it done? It's done when it's done, right? It's done when the edges are brown and when it's still like warm and nice on the inside. That's when it's done. I don't care what, I don't care what the recipe says. It's done when it's done, right? And that kind of being done, that kind of finishing is not about just chronology. It's about when it's ripe. It's when it's complete. It's when it's finished. And when Jesus created the world, when the Lord created the world, everything was finished. It was complete. It was exactly the way it was supposed to be. And then we took the fruit and we decided to live in a false reality. And the false reality was that we had had this wonderful relationship with God. Everything was exactly how it should be. It was finished. But we decided to live in another reality where we were our own gods and all of that stuff. You know, we messed it up. But Jesus went about the work of redemption, of restoring the finished work of God, the finished work of it in in us. And so when he goes to the cross, there's this moment. And we look way back in history, creation of the world. And we can look way forward to the future. Who knows how long it's going to be. But somewhere in the middle of this is a moment when God's time, this Kairos time, comes down right in the middle of our timeline. If this is our timeline, and it comes down and boom, right in the middle of it. And now we know that all of time past looks forward to the moment of the cross. And we call it B.C., And then all of the moment after that looks back at the cross. And oh yeah, time might keep ticking or whatever, but frankly, it's done. It's finished. What needed to be done has already been done. And if I don't believe in the finality of that moment, then I continue to live in a false reality. Because what happened in this moment is Jesus says the words, it is finished. And those are human words. Those are earth words. They're not heaven words. Because in heaven, things aren't finished. Things get finished on earth. And these are the words of earth, and he says them once, and he doesn't have to ever say them again. When we get to heaven, we won't hear Jesus saying, it is finished, it is finished. It's like, it's just constant, and it's awesome. In this moment, for earth, Jesus says it one time, he'll never say it again, and all my job is, is to receive the simple fact that it is done. It is over. That life, as this world has described it, it's done. The perfect life that was never seen in Adam was lived in Jesus. The punishment that we've been hitting ourselves with all these years, it's done. It's over. It's finished. There's nothing left to pay. The wrath that God had to pour out in judgment against humanity, it's done. It's finished. It's over. The atonement has already been made. The Passover, it's already taken place. It's already happened. The entrance into heaven, it's ours. The Holy of Holies, it's already been torn open. We've already been granted access. Peace has already been given to us. Joy is ours if we'll receive it. Righteousness is wrapped over our shoulders as a robe for those of us who believe. Love, it already happened. It was fully personified in Jesus. He taught about a way He showed us the way. He made a way. And then he became the way. And he says, come through this way and we can be restored to the fullness of it is finished, of the seventh day. We can come and experience it now. And this is the question for me. What what is really finished? Death is finished. Okay? It's done. He took the last enemy and he crucified it. What else is finished? My separation from God. It's finished. It's over. I don't need separation from God anymore. I'm finished. That's what he's saying. You're done. I'm done. You're done. It's done. 
It's over. Tim Deering no longer exists. You are welcome to become a member of the body of Christ and find a new identity. Be recreated, a new creation, born again. Become something altogether new. Behold, I make all things new. But what was is over. And I find for myself the big struggle is just coming to terms with the fact that it's over. It's done. Because I still live in this world where we live as if it's not done. You know? And I still have these major expectations of myself. You know? I still got to do something. I still got to prove something. I, you know, I still got to show something to myself. Or, or I still have expectations of you all, of whoever else. Because if you would do this, or if you would do this, it would make my life better. What's my life? It's done. It's finished. It's over. There is nothing. It's not my work. It's not your work. It's his work. And it's done. Coming to terms with it being finished is like a person in a grieving process who, while there are all those memories of what was, it's not now. And if I'm going to live today in the moment, I have to release what was. And what Jesus invites us into with this phrase, first, it's the relief of our condemnation. Second, it's the conquering of the enemy. He has no sway over our lives anymore. We don't have to listen to him. There are no chains. But third, there's this, that he invites us into a moment where it's done, it's over, we can give up, we can die. So what is there left for me? I mean, if it's finished, I can't unfinish it. It can't be undone. I can't add to it. I can't take away from it. It's all done. So what is actually left for me? Same thing that was left for me when God was done all his work at the creation. What was left? Seventh day, to rest. Relationship with him. Hang out. Day seven, enter in. You know, And this is what Hebrews says. There is still a Sabbath rest, a day of rest, and it's called today. That's what they call it. Today is the day of rest. Make every effort to enter into that rest is what it says. All effort of humanity is to be given to one thing. It's not self-improvement. It's not me building the kingdom of God. It's not me being smart. It's not me raising a good family or, or building a big church or, or figuring out. It's not any of that. It's one simple thing. Every day, all day, one job. Make every effort to enter into the rest of God. Anything else is a deception because it's already finished. It's already over. There's nothing left but to rest. And when I go to rest, I find that it just completely changes everything. It changes my expectations of others. I have patience with others because what does it matter? It's not about them. It's about God, you know, and it's done. And I, and I find that, that there's perseverance to walk through difficult things with people because these circumstances aren't what make joy. It's already finished. The veil is torn open and I can have the relationship right now. So right here, Right now, no matter what my stress is, no matter what's going on in my life, I have an opportunity to connect with the living God today, right here, right now, in this moment. I can rest in him. That is the kingdom of God established in my life. And so when I pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth here as it is in heaven, I am crying out the word, it is finished in my life. I no longer live, but Christ now lives in me. May I decrease so that he can increase. It is finished. It is over. No more Tim. Please, the less of Tim, the better. And you all say, amen. Amen. Let's pray.